0: Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. You know, with it being the week that it is, and of course Palm Sunday, and how many of you know some traditions are great, some traditions are, are hollow, sometimes our, our holiday tra- traditions if we get in religion can be hollow. I never want to be accused of hollowness or fake stuff or just being uh, religious on the outside. Palm Sunday, there's an important message here, and there's an important message as a, for us as disciples. I'm speaking to you guys as disciples today. And so let's dive into Luke's account of of this amazing event and begin reading in verse 36. It says, As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for the wonderful miracles that they had seen. Blessings on the king. Some translations say, Hosanna blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, and glory to God in the highest. I like to go back when I read the Bible, I like to put myself in those situations. I don't know if you ever do that. I try to imagine what it would be like if I were standing along the parade route. I imagine people waving the palm branches and ripping off their cloaks and throwing them on the ground, and Jesus riding in like a king into Jerusalem, and the people, the multitude of people that were there shouting and praising and celebrating. And I have a question for you, all right? How did they know about this event? Do you ever wonder how that happened? How did they know? I mean, how did the crowd form? In other words, as Jesus is making his descent into Jerusalem, there's a massive crowd that's waiting for him. Now, if you would be a typical American, we would talk about who the campaign promoter was, we talk about the marketing campaign, right, the, the news ads that were purchased, and we talk about all the flyers that were handed out, um, because you've got to let people know. we talk about social media, are you with me? Lots of ways to let people know. Guess what? They didn't have any of that stuff. How did all these people know that Jesus was getting ready to make his uh, arrival into Jerusalem? Well, I want you to turn with us to John chapter 12. We're going to find the answer, because here's John's account of what happened. It says in John chapter 12, verse 9, I'm just laying some track for us here. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, now this is not his arrival to Jerusalem, this is his arrival at Bethany, the home of Lazarus. They flocked to see him, and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. How many know this does not fit? Godly people should not be trying to kill people Jesus just raised from the dead. So we have a problem here, do we not? That should not have been the response. But the priests are trying to kill Lazarus as well as Jesus. And look what it says in verse 10 or verse 11. For it was because of him, meaning Lazarus, that many of the people had deserted them, meaning the priests, and began believing in Jesus Christ. And look what it says in verse 12. The next day, the next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. How did it sweep through the city? Because excited, passionate, joyful, expectant people were running around telling everybody a couple of things. They were first of all saying, hey, The one responsible for this incredible miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead is now coming to our town. He's on his way. (sighs) Word spreads like wildfire. It says it swept through Jerusalem, and it says a large crowd of Passover visitors. This was the Passover celebration. People were in from all over, from, from near and far. They were in Jerusalem for the Passover And look what they did. This is where we get, of course, the whole Palm Sunday phrase. They took palm branches, and they went down to the road to meet him. And if you jump down to verses 17 and 18, we read some more details. Many of the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. Verse 18, that was the reason so many went out to meet him because they had heard about this miraculous sign. So if I ask you, why did the crowd form? Who was responsible? The crowd formed because of a man named Lazarus, who once was dead, and now he's alive. How many of you know people are always interested in seeing the supernatural? People have a hunger for the power of God. People want to see the power of God to change people's lives. And Jesus spent his days on this earth preaching the good news, and then demonstrating the good news of the kingdom. Now, let me just tell you something. The church grows the best, not by slick marketing campaigns, trying to be something that we aren't. But here's how the church grows. Because of the testimony of dead men and women who are now alive. And I'm telling you, when I come into an encounter weekend, as the women's encounter, which is only a couple weeks away, I don't know if you ladies did not get a good... uh, testimony this morning of why you should come to the ladies encounter. I don't know what, what more we need to do. Seeing grown men weeping, seeing men who were dead, seeing men who were trapped in sexual perversion who are now free and ministering to others, seeing men whose hearts were crushed because of the wounds of a father who now are becoming fathers themselves and who are able to minister to other people the love and healing and restoration. Listen to me, what the world is looking for are dead people who have been made alive by Jesus Christ people whose emotions had been trampled on and damaged and who were full of rejection and pain and bitterness and hurt, who now are able to love other people, people who were selfish to the core, and it was all about them, uh, and they damaged so many lives, who are now selfless people, who are able to love others. You know, our lives become magnets, our lives become billboards for people who are hungry for God. And I want to tell you this, I'm not minimizing Uh, the healing of the body. I'm not minimizing the fact that God raises people from the dead even today, and I just want to be loud and clear. We're a church that believes that the Holy Spirit is still on the move today, that Jesus is alive. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he is still here healing people's bodies, casting out devils, breaking strongholds, and raising the dead. That's the God that we serve. I'm not minimizing any of that, but listen to me. One of the most common ways and one of the greatest miracles that we sometimes gloss over is when God takes a spiritually dead person, turns them inside out, and causes them to be a Jesus lover and a lover of other people. That is a miracle. That is a miracle. And I'm telling you, people today are looking for people who have been transformed, who have been raised from the dead. Let me tell you some other reasons for the excitement here. We read it right in this passage, Luke 19. Look with me at verse 37 all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God. Why? For the wonderful miracles they had seen. Reason number one for the excitement, this is the miracle-working Messiah that had been long prophesied about. How many of you know all the way through the Old Testament? And there are some pastors today that are suggesting we should stay away from the Old Testament. Don't you dare stay away from the Old Testament. There are some people acting like the Old Testament was less inspired or not for us. But I'm telling you, it was the Old Testament that prophesied about the coming Messiah. It was the Old Testament that showed us who this Messiah would be and what he would look like. And Jesus Christ comes, and one of the ways, and I want you to hear this, one of the ways he demonstrated that he is God Almighty and the Messiah come to save us from our sins is accredited by all of the supernatural signs and wonders Jesus did. And I don't know where you're at today. You might be here today and you might be far from God or you might be cynical. You might be wondering, well, I don't know about this Jesus guy. Let me just tell you something. The Bible leaves us without excuse as it relates to the person of Christ and to his demonstration of why he's not a run-of-the-mill prophet or religious leader, why he's the Messiah that God sent, the Savior of the world. Let me just give you an example. This is John's gospel. When you get to the very end of John's gospel, he tells us why he wrote the gospel and why he included in his book the stories that he included. This is what he says. Um, The disciples saw Jesus do many miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written, what? These signs, these miracles are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And check this out, that by believing in him, you will have life. How do you have life? By the power of his name. The name of Jesus is no normal name. Attached to that name is everything that he stands for. And if you reach out in faith and grab a hold of the man, Christ Jesus, and you embrace him as Messiah, with that embracing comes the power of new life. Isn't that good news? There were so many miracles Jesus did that weren't even able to be recorded, the Bible says, in the Bible, because the Bible is limited in in its message and space. How many of you know we have a miracle-working Messiah, and he begins with the human heart, and he works his way out, and we need to worship him as our Messiah, and that's what they were doing. They were worshiping him as, as the Savior. Secondly, I want you to see that he's a sovereign king, and they recognize this. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Matthew's gospel says, Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. How do you know? He's he's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. This was the promise of Zechariah, the prophecy of Zechariah hundreds of years before Jesus, that this king would be different. And isn't it beautiful that Jesus doesn't come like the Roman emperors coming back with this big display of power? Jesus comes riding on a donkey. I mean, this is so unfitting to a king, and yet they realize that this man is the king. Y'all remember how he got that donkey? He told the disciples, hey, go out and get me, you know, give me this beast of burden. And they're like, well, what do we do? And they, and, and they said, go up to that guy and tell him we need your donkey. I'm paraphrasing. And they go up to him, and he said, well, what happens when, when we ask him? He's going to say, well, who needs it? And you tell him the Lord needs it. Remember all that? I mean, that's a strange thing. But here's why it's not so strange. Jesus was invoking the law that was given to kings. It was what's called a royal levy. The citizen must render to the king any item or service that he might request. Jesus is claiming to be king. In other words, he's saying, He's saying, that donkey and every donkey on planet earth belongs rightfully to me. Go get it. He was invoking his kingly rights. And the owner of that animal recognized that and released that that animal so that Jesus could make his entry into, the, into Jerusalem that day. And lastly, and I love this, Jesus must receive praise. The Bible says in verse 39 of 40, but some of the Pharisees among the crowd said this, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Well, what were they saying? And They were worshiping Jesus as Messiah and King. Stop them, stop them, stop them. And I love what Jesus says here. If they keep quiet, the stones along the road are going to burst into cheers. Oh, man, this is so good. All of creation exists to give the Lord glory. You know, let me tell you why you're on planet Earth. To praise God. To celebrate His goodness in your life. To honor Him as your Messiah, first of all. To honor Him as your King, secondly. And then to release the thanksgiving out of your heart. Jesus says, if I shut these guys up, the stones themselves are going to have a, a, a hallelujah celebration. Um, all of nature was created to give God praise. And, uh, and that's what these guys are experiencing. Now, I want to fast forward the tape here because what's happening in this picture, well, actually, let me go back a little bit. You know, this is, this is important for all of us here today. There are people here that maybe you're saying, well, you know, I've never really submitted my life to Christ and I'm still not sure and on and on and on on. You know, Paul said in Philippians 2 that the day is coming when every knee is going to bow and every single tongue that has ever had a tongue, every person that's ever had a tongue will confess with their mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. I I don't know of a bolder statement. Who has the audacity? I I mean, I'm just being Who has the audacity to say that? Unless you can back it up. Every single human being that ever breathed a breath will bow their knees willingly and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. The sad thing is, for some, it's going to be too late because your pastor was just telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching good news now. The day is coming when the king is coming, and you have to be ready for that moment, and it, you're, it's going to be too late, but you will bow. Every rebellion, stubborn fist that's been shaken at God will open into this. And every resilient, who are you to tell me what to do, will be found on their faces, on their knees, prostrate, worshiping. But for some, it's going to be too late. Can you help me? I'm speaking mostly to disciples here today. Can we make sure we do our best to make sure we populate heaven and we rob hell of a lot of people by being dead men and women who have come to life. God forbid that people that know us, that know our families, that know our church can experience life and and continue to live as if they don't know Christ or never had an opportunity to submit to him. We don't want that to happen. But I want to fast forward the the picture here to to Revelation chapter seven because God's showing us what the end's going to look like before we even get there. And I want you to see this because it's powerful. Revelation chapter seven, verse nine. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count. Now, my buddies in Pakistan right now are experiencing an amazing revival, and the sea of people goes on so far that you cannot see the end of the the people in the picture. And I'm telling you, that picture is nothing compared to what heaven's going to be like. There's a day coming, and I want to dispel the myth that there's only going to be a handful of us there. Aren't you glad that the mercy of God and the grace of God is so huge that the number of people around the throne of God is so great that it says no man could number? I mean, you know, that's a lot of people. And I want you to see what they're doing here. They're from every nation and every tribe, every people group, every language. What are they doing? Standing in front of a throne representing that Jesus is king. And look what it says next, before the lamb, which reminds us that he's the Messiah. Yeah, come on. He's the sacrificial lamb that was slain for us. So we got the lamb and we got the king, the lion and the lamb. And we see a multitude before the Lord. And there are people all different shades of skin color. I many of you know, Jesus has this diversity thing down pat. In fact, I just want you to know that every kind of earthly diversity is ultimately fake and won't last. The only one big enough to pull the the nations of the world together is Jesus. Jesus is big enough to pull all the nations together. And there they all are, all different people groups, tribes, nations, language, colors, worshiping the Lord. I want you to see that we're clothed in white robes, which is a picture of our righteousness before God. And check out what we got on our hands. Palm branches. Does this this ring a bell on what we're celebrating today? I think Jesus is trying to say something. Here's what he's saying. The original Palm Sunday in the celebration was a foretaste of an amazing Palm Sunday celebration that's about to come. And now check it out. I asked you a question on the first Palm Sunday. Who was responsible for gathering the crowd? We said it was Lazarus, a dead man raised to life. Let me ask you another question. Who's responsible for that Palm Sunday celebration? Well, first of all, the initial one to blame is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ who rose from the dead. It was not Lazarus' resurrection from the dead. It's Jesus' own res- resurrection from the dead. That's the game changer. You all with me on that? But, but the deeper question is this. How did all those folks find out about the party? And let me just tell you something. The invitation to discipleship is a privilege. But your vote of non-participation will not stop God's glorious plan. You just miss out on the blessing. But God's going to have that is what's going to happen. And so here's the cool thing. We got an amazing invitation and amazing privilege. Now, I want to show you something here. Because the disciples as, as all of us would have. We, we messed it up. When they're shouting Hosanna, that word Hosanna means God saves. They were expecting Jesus to come and kick some butt and, and, and defeat the Romans and take his place on an earthly throne. And how I many of you know Jesus tried over and over again to get the, the message across? They didn't get it. They accepted him as a prophet and they expected him to reign as a king, but Jesus is saying, it's not the way, guys, it's not going to happen the way you think. They should have got a hint with the donkey thing like the pomp and circumstance wasn't really there, like, like earthly kings have. They also should have got a hint with the timing of Jesus because that week was Passover week. And check this out. This is amazing. The very moment Jesus is making his entry into Jerusalem, all the people that are celebrating the Passover, which is why they're there, are picking out the lamb to bring into their home leading up to the sacrifice of that lamb later in the week. And check this out. God has selected his lamb who's making his way into God's house, the city of Jerusalem, and ultimately into the temple uh, where Jesus starts cleaning the temple. Now, you all know that situation. And ultimately, God offers his lamb, even as the people are, are doing the Old Testament you know, picture of the lamb that was to come. So Jesus, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament is making his way. But I want you to see that between the first Palm Sunday and the second Palm Sunday, there's some important pieces missing. Where's the parade leading? It's leading to a cross. The whole celebration, all the, yay, Jesus is the man, he's the king, he's the savior. woo And they don't even realize that Jesus is moving and making his way Toward the cross. Now, I want you to see this too, because I've been reading all this in light of discipleship. And how I many you know the Bible is so full of new truths every time we read it, if we'll just read it under the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But remember last week I told you the parable of the talents, or we talked about the parable of the talents. And I share with you, you know, when the Lord gives out gifts, He, get, he doesn't give us all the same stuff, and He doesn't give us all the same responsibility or even the same increments. He gave some people five. He gave some people two talents. He gave another guy one talent. All of them got something. You with me? And remember what we were saying is, Jesus wants us to take what we've received and use it. Well, use it for what? Use it for his glory. He wants us to take what we receive, like the healing we received. And he wants us to give it away. How many of you know, freely you've received what? Freely give it away. So the whole point is, use what you have. I had never seen before the context of when Jesus taught and gave that teaching. Look with me. I want to show you. This is significant. This was like, wow, I had one of those aha moments. This parable comes right before Jesus makes his entry into the city on Palm Sunday. It comes in Luke chapter 19, earlier in that chapter. And I want you to see why Jesus told the parable of talents. It says this. He told this parable to them to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. They were thinking he's ushering his kingdom now, and Jesus says, I'm getting ready to tell you this parable because you got it all wrong. And let me just share something with you. The Bi- this is the tension we live in. The Bible wants us to live with a great hope and expectancy for the second coming of Christ. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. That Jesus could return at any moment, and we know he's coming back. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. But here's the other side. Some people are so checked out, I hear people say, you know, as the world gets darker, right, or culture gets darker, I hear people say, Jesus is coming soon. What we should be saying is, I hope not. Why do we want Jesus to come back to a dark culture where everybody's going to hell? We should be saying, no, we can't let him come back now because we have too much work to do. And so Jesus tells this parable, he says, To whom much has been given, much is going to be expected of you. And if you've been faithful with much, I'll give you more. And if you're not faithful, I will take away even what you have. And then look what he says last. And as for those enemies of mine who don't want me to be king, can I just share something with you? The kingship of Jesus over our lives is not optional. Jesus said in this parable, when he got ready to leave, there were people that didn't want him to be their king. And he called, listen to me, people who don't submit to the kingship of Jesus, the Bible says, in Jesus' only words, are enemies. And I want you to see the picture here. This is at the end of the, this is what Jesus says. Bring those enemies of mine, who don't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. And this is a parable. It's a picture. But listen, before Jesus makes his way into the city with all the hoopla and pomp and circumstance, he knows he's laser-focused because he knows it's taking him to Good Friday and to the cross. He already knows that. And this is the parable he tells them. Guys, you're missing out. I'm telling you this because you think it's happening soon. It's not happening soon. There's work to be done. I've given you so much. I've demonstrated my life. I've showed you my power. I've mentored you for the last three and a half years. I've poured my life into you. Much has been given to you. Be faithful and be fruitful. Be faithful and be fruitful, because there's enemies of mine out there as well. And I'm telling you, the judgment day is coming. The wrath of God is coming. But be faithful and be fruitful. And let's see many, many sons come to know me. And then the Bible says this right after that. I want you to see this. Luke uh, chapter 19, uh, verse 27, I think it is. Right after the parable, here's, here's what the Bible says. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of the disciples. Now, here's, here's what I, I, the Lord spoke to my heart about this morning. If we were to make this the Palm Sunday parade route, we got people on this side, we're cheering Jesus on, people on this side cheering Jesus on. Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem. Here he comes. And he knows about what this week's going to unfold. He knows Friday's coming. He also knows Sunday's coming. Hallelujah. But Friday is before him. And this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus is going to the cross. He's leading the way. The Bible says, walking ahead of his. This is what I love about our leader. He doesn't just tell us what to do. He leads the way. This is a man who knows exactly that the cheers on on that Sunday by Friday are not cheers. Their their, their cries, crucify him, crucify him. He, He gets all this. He's not enamored by the praises of people. He has had his eyes laser focused on the cross. He knows why he's here. And listen to me, everybody that's a disciple is following their leader. And I'm just telling you, where are we going We're going to a cross. We don't preach this anymore. We don't bring this stuff up. When Jesus said this, look with me. I'm moving ahead. When Jesus said this in Luke 14, 27, if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. I realize this is a heavy verse. Can we just pause here? How many of you know this is like the red letter stuff in the Bible? This comes right out of Jesus' mouth. And do you notice? It doesn't say you might have a problem, it might be a challenge. No, what does it say? You cannot. It is impossible. Do you know that when Jesus said those words in the culture and the context of his time, everybody understood what the cross was all about? Jesus wasn't the first person crucified. And he certainly wasn't the last person crucified. They understood. They're living in a room. They, people were hanging on crosses all the time. They understand what's happening. Jesus said, if, you, if you're not willing to pick up that cross, my cross, and follow me, you can't be my disciple. What he's saying is this. There's a death sentence over your life. And can I just say this? You know, in America right now, we're, we're not living in a culture where we have literal death sentences. But can I just tell you something? We have to feel the weight of this. What Jesus was saying is this, if you're not willing to literally die for me, you can't follow me. I don't know how how to get much more sober than that. Mm -hmm. And listen, the the glory of it is not in the martyrdom. There's nothing holy about martyrdom. What martyrdom points to is this, there's something more valuable and someone more valuable than my life. His name is Jesus someone, something is more valuable than life itself. This is radical. Jesus is making the claim that he's more precious than the life he gave you. And so when he asks us to follow him, what he's saying is, you gotta lay your life down. In fact, let's go to the last verse, and then we're gonna worship, and we're gonna respond. Look at the last verse here, Mark chapter eight. If you try to hang on to your life, you're gonna lose it. But if you give up your life, For my sake and for the sake of the good news. Notice, for my sake, that means out of our passion for Jesus and for the sake of the good news. That means we're going to join the mission of Jesus. You're going to save it. And I love this. What benefit will you gain if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? What I love is right now, I don't love it because of what's happening, but what I love is that there are brothers and sisters of ours who will meet on the next side who are already paying the ultimate price. Because when they say they love Jesus, there's a cost involved. You know, I met with a pastor who has a a Muslim man at his church who was a believer and in a Muslim country where there was severe persecution. And uh, they started un- trying to uncover the underground secret church gatherings that were happening. And uh, they talked about how they brought this pastor in. And they said, uh, they, you know, maybe they'd bring Mike up in front. And they say, do you know that man? And the pastor would say, no, I don't know that man. That's his brother in the Lord. That's somebody maybe he's led to Christ. He's mentored. I don't know that man. And then they begin beating him in front of you. Do you know this man? Who is this man? This guy just getting pummeled. And then they watch him cut his head off or shoot him or whatever and slaughter him. And then they bring in the next church member that's your in your life group. And they do the same thing. Who is this man? I don't know that man. Bang, bang, bang. Uh, and they go through this amazing suffering all the while keeping their eyes on that Palm Sunday celebration that's coming. And realizing we're not home yet. This is not heaven. This is not our final destination. This is the battleground. This is where God invites us to partner with his son and to be on a rescue mission that matters. This is where the cost of non-discipleship, like dying in your sin, like dying a bitter person, like dying with unforgiveness, like dying having lived a wasted life that doesn't matter, That's where the cost of non-discipleship comes into play. And I've heard of fathers who have had to watch their wives be molested and abused and their kids murdered before their eyes, all the while saying, don't you dare quit on your faith in God because I'm going to see you someday, and we will be resurrected in the resurrection of our Lord, and we will be together forever. That's the hope these people have. And then hear me, it's harder in America where we have so many distractions and so much blessings, to embrace the cross and to give your life for something that matters beyond your life. You know, Jerry, when you and your son are hugging this weekend and there's a father-son answer to prayer and you're weeping in front of us, it's a picture of a dead man who got raised to life and because, because he was willing to die and to heal his marriage and to go back and love this woman and to try to do it right and to go low and say, God, change me. It was his son, Nate, who said this about his dad. I can see my dad is a changed man. His whole future and destiny and seed and seed, seed rested on one man embracing the cross. One man dying. One man coming and saying, God, I don't want to live this way any longer. Jesus, take my life. Take my life. The challenge in America is to quit wasting our lives on things that don't matter and to embrace the call to give your life away. Let's love God with all of our heart as our Savior, Jesus as our Savior, and make him our king. And listen to me, let's commit in this place to being a disciple-making church that sees heaven populated, the nations of the world brought to Christ, families discipled under the lordship of Jesus. And listen to me, what about this coming week? What about believing God with me, that there's people you know that are just waiting for you to step out of your comfort zone and say, hey, come on out and worship with us this Sunday. This is the greatest of all Sundays. And how do they know because you're a dead person that they know that's been raised to life. There is so much potential in this room. There is so much that hinges on your ability and willingness to lay your life down. I don't know about you, but I want to stand in heaven someday and see multitudes of people that are there because of the influence of Livingstone's Church and embracing the cross and following Jesus. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand to our feet in just a moment. We're going to worship our heart out. And here's my invitation to you that as you would feel so inclined, and don't do this as a religious thing, do this because you're recommitting yourself to the mission and to the King of Glory. But it's always great to make your way right here and to realize that's our leader. And and for you to say, I'm following him, I'm following him. I'm following him with my life. And then we've got some communion on either side. And I encourage you, if you're a single here today, dedicate yourself as you partake of those emblems and just dedicate yourself to living full-out radical for God as a single person. In fact, you have much more freedom uh, and to do that than many married people. Be radical in your singleness. If you're married and your family's here, I encourage you, come up present yourself as a family, take communion as a family, and let's get a vision for what God's going to do through us and through this church, all right? But here's what we're going to do. We've got another 20 minutes just to worship our heart out, all right? Will you join me in that? Stand to your feet, and as you feel so inclined, make your way up here. Well, let's celebrate communion, and let's worship our way out of here today.